0: Are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co host today is Cindy Johnson, operations manager of Friends of Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouses and one of the leading lights of the hospitality industry in the New Hampshire Seacoast region. Hi, Cindy.
1: Hi, Jeremy. I'm happy to be here and thanks so much for that nice introduction.
0: You're very welcome. We're getting close to Columbus Day weekend. How has the season gone for you at the Exeter Inn and at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse?
1: Well, Jeremy, we've been pretty busy at both the Inn and the Lighthouse. It's still wedding season over at the Exeter Inn. Even though things tend to slow down a bit after Labor Day at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse, we've had some really warm, sunny Sunday afternoons, so we've still been pretty busy.
0: Uh, And next weekend, Columbus Day weekend, will be the end of the open house season at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse in Newcastle, New Hampshire.
1: That's right. The lighthouse will be open on Sunday from 1 to 5, and it will be open again on Monday, Columbus Day, from 1 to 5. The Monday open house will benefit Friends of Flying Santa.
0: Right! Friends of Flying Santa keeps a tradition alive that dates back to 1929, when the pilot Bill Winkapaw started dropping Christmas presents at lighthouses along the main coast for lighthouse keepers and their families as a way of expressing gratitude for the job they were doing.
1: Today, Santa lands by helicopter, mainly at Coast Guard stations. The tradition continues primarily as a means of showing thanks to Coast Guard personnel and their families for the important work that they do. You can read more about Friends of Flying Santa at FlyingSanta.org.
0: Friends of Flying Santa is something that's very close to my heart. I've been involved on the board of directors of the organization for quite a few years. My good friend Brian Tagg is the president. Brian will be at our open house at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse on October 14th. And so will Santa Claus. Yay! Uh, (laughs) Yeah. You can read more about the open house at PortsmouthHarborLighthouse.org. And again, that's coming up next week on Monday, October 14th. That's Columbus Day from 1 to 5 at Portsmouth Harbor Lighthouse in Newcastle, New Hampshire.
1: So what do we have on today's edition of Lighthearted, Jeremy?
0: I'm glad you asked that, Cindy. We're going to visit two very beautiful lighthouses on the west coast of the U.S. First, we'll travel to the Point San Luis Lighthouse on California's central coast, where we'll talk to Jack Sanfilippo, program manager for the lighthouse. And later, we'll head up to the Pacific Northwest to Heceta Headlight Station in Oregon, where we'll meet Misty Anderson, general manager and events coordinator for the Heceta Lighthouse Bed and Breakfast. Let's start at Point San Luis.
1: San Luis Obispo, about halfway between Los Angeles and San Francisco, was founded in 1772 by the Spanish and is considered one of California's oldest communities. Petitioning for a lighthouse at Point San Luis at the west side of the entrance to San Luis Obispo Bay began in the 1870s, but Congress didn't appropriate funding until 1888. The lighthouse began operation on June 30, 1890. It's a beautiful Victorian structure with a square wooden tower attached to the keeper's dwelling.
0: The Coast Guard automated the light in 1974, and the building soon began to deteriorate from neglect. Local interest in saving the lighthouse began to grow. The Point San Luis Lighthouse Keepers, a dedicated group of preservationists established in 1995, logged 65,000 volunteer hours and raised more than $15 million in a 15-year restoration effort, bringing the building back to life as one of the prettiest lighthouses on California's central coast.
1: Docent-led tours are available every Saturday and Wednesday, year-round.
0: Transportation to the lighthouse is via van from a parking area between Avila Beach and Port San Luis. I recently had the opportunity to speak with Jack Sanfilippo, program manager for the Point San Luis Lighthouse. Let's listen to that conversation now. I am speaking with Jack Sanfilippo, program manager for the Point San Luis Lighthouse. Thanks so much for being with me today, Jack. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Jeremy. Uh, I visited your lighthouse back in 2015, and I have to say it really is one of the most beautiful lighthouse buildings I've ever seen, and I I really enjoyed the tour. Uh, The restoration is amazing. The Point San Luis Lighthouse Keepers is a nonprofit organization that works to preserve the lighthouse. Uh, Maybe you could tell our listeners a little bit more about the organization.
2: Uh, Sure, yes. The Point Slow Lighthouse Keepers are just an incredibly dedicated group of you know, contractors, historians, it's a very diverse group that were formed in 1995 to really oversee the site. Before that, it had gone a little unloved for a couple decades, and it definitely needed more than a new coat of paint. Um, And this group of people came out, and when we talk about dedication, I always like to point out that, you know, we are a two-story Victorian structure, of course, but we are a large building. It's a big uh, wooden, of course, building. And every single square inch inside and out was lead paint. And all of that lead paint was painstakingly removed by our volunteers. They really, you know, you could say put their back into bringing this building and bringing this historic site back to life. And so currently we have the of the original keepers. We have a a board. We have uh, the Tuesday work crew, dedicated group that comes out on Tuesdays and does minor maintenance and sometimes big maintenance. Uh, We have docents historians. It's a rather large group of people who just come out and share their love for this uh, historic site.
0: Well, the love really shows. Again, uh, I was so impressed when I was there. It's just an absolutely gorgeous place. Uh, it's a little different than a lot of uh, lighthouses that you can tour. Really, uh, unlike some lighthouses, visitors can't actually drive uh, to the Point San Louis lighthouse themselves. Uh, can you tell our listeners a little bit how the tours were?
2: Yes, uh, we happen to be on property that is uh, neighboring the Diablo Canyon nuclear power plant. And that's the last nuclear power plant in the state of California. Um, Because of their security measures, which are uh, definitely appropriate, it's a little bit difficult to get out to us. You kind of, uh, that gets, you know, you add that to the, the, the fact that to get to us, the single lane road that we have is very narrow and we do have limited parking. Most lighthouses don't have huge parking lots next to them. So what we do for our tours is we have you parked down at our Port San Luis area. There is a parking area that we have and um, guests can leave their vehicles there. They they board our bus and we take you up to the lighthouse and that's where we then divide you into groups and you start the tour. Coinciding with that though, we do have another program where people can actually hike to the lighthouse. It is with a guide. They're called the Pedro coast trail guides. They're a wonderful group of people that will stop along the way, point out flora, fauna. They'll point out things that you never would have seen. Um, and then they bring you out here after the hike. It's a pretty, it's a moderate hike, but it's not too bad. And then following that, you can also take a tour.
0: Now, I remember uh, when I toured inside the building, there's uh, beautiful furnishings and so forth. And, and, and one of the things on display is the old Fresnel lens from the lighthouse. I believe it's uh, in the Fox signal building. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the lens and also some of the other things that people will see when they tour the lighthouse?
2: Yeah, we are uh, definitely, uh, we are incredibly happy to, to be able to have our lens on display. I know a lot of lighthouses don't actually have theirs. And ours is a fourth-order Fresnel lens, of course. Uh, Our lighthouse did stand as a welcome beacon to Port San Luis, to San Luis Bay. So we're not an open ocean light. We don't have one of those big first-order Fresnels. We also have our tower open, which, again, is unusual. A lot of people who go visit lighthouses aren't allowed up in the actual towers. Ours, you can go on up. Uh, Of course, it's a two-story structure that you can walk around. And then... Something else that we're very, very excited about is that we just this past week have completed our new uh, exhibits. We have just museum-quality exhibits now in the Fox Signal building. You can walk in there. You can learn about the pre-lighthouse history uh, of Avila Beach, our local you know region, San Obispo County. You can learn about our lighthouse, uh, the different signatures of our lighthouse, uh, information about some uh, very special keepers that we had out here. And all of that, like I said, is opening this week. So, you know, we're very excited to be able to announce that.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. So I, I should mention that we're actually recording this uh, interview on saturday september 7th uh... people will be hearing this a little bit later than that so by the time they hear this the exhibits you're talking about will be uh... open to the public so that's that's great i understand uh... there are other events at the lighthouse in addition to the tours uh... can you tell us a little bit about some of the other events that uh, will be happening
2: yeah we try and keep things interesting out here we um all of the events, the proceeds go straight towards restoration. I would say it's 100 percent. When you come out to, for example, see one of our summer concerts, which we have once a month in the summertime, uh, you know, your ticket that you're enjoying yourself, you're seeing a live band, you know you're, you're getting some food out here and hanging out in this beautiful setting, but that goes right towards restoration. so you are directly supporting the lighthouse. So you know June through October, once a month, we have, we have live musical acts. Um, Throughout the year we have signature events usually celebrating a major holiday. We do have you know, a murder mystery thing uh, a dinner that we do every year that's always very popular. And all of our events are always you know like I've already said, it's just going straight back into restoration. We are a work in progress out here you know uh, I think a lot of people do understand that lighthouses are obviously next to oceans and that's a, that's a very uh, caustic uh, environment for, for wooden structures and steel structures, metal structures. I know you came to see us in 2015, but I can assure you the work has not stopped. We are continuously doing work out here just to make sure that we're in top condition. And when you come out to one of these events, you come out on a tour that's supporting that.
0: Yeah, oh, absolutely. The work is never done. There's no doubt about that. Uh, for you personally, what would you say is most special about the Point San Luis Lighthouse?
2: Well, you know, we are the welcome beacon to San Luis Bay. We are still an active light station. We're going on 130 years next year. And the thing is, there's been a lot of changes uh, in San Luis Obispo County where we live. It's it's a modernizing, the county's growing, but we do have a very important history as far as West Coast history is concerned. We had our native peoples that lived here, the Shumash. We went through the, the, the Spanish time period, the era mexican era the California era and, and into the modern era with with the you know being a modern state and and what we are doing out here at our lighthouse is we feel that we are a museum documenting all of this so if you come out to the west west coast you come out to the central coast you can come visit us at our lighthouse and you can learn about all this very special history i know the the west coast isn't as uh I would say deeply historical as far as the East Coast is concerned, but we do have a pretty fascinating and wonderful narrative to tell out here. And when you come out to the points to the lighthouse, you can learn all about that in just your hour and a half tour.
0: Maybe you uh, kind of answered that just just now, but I'll just answer my next question already. But I'll I'll ask you uh, one final question here. Is there anything else you'd like to add? If somebody is thinking about visiting your lighthouse, anything uh, you'd like to tell our, our listeners before we uh, we close this interview?
2: Well, yeah, I guess I did already say but just we're always changing. So if you come to see us, uh, you, you're most likely, I'm assuming, going to enjoy it. But you know, if you come back out five years later, there's going to be changes. We're always doing everything we can to improve. And I think we have a wonderful program out here. So if you are able to come out to the West Coast, we are definitely a stop that needs to be made.
0: Well, that's uh, very well said. and I'll, again, I'll tell you that I, I was uh, tremendously impressed when I was there in 2015 and it's, so it's been uh, let's see that was uh, that was just about exactly uh, four years ago. I was there in uh, September of 2015. So I'm very much looking forward to my next visit. So uh, I hope it won't go more than uh, maybe five <laughs> five years before my my uh, my next visit and uh, I really look forward to it. So Jack Sanfilippo, thank you so much for joining me today. I very much appreciate it, and I can't wait to, to visit again. Thanks so much.
2: Thank you, Jeremy. Much appreciated.
1: For our history segment today, we're going to stay on the West Coast. One of California's most famous female lightkeepers keepers is remembered largely for the refined lifestyle she introduced at Point Pinos lighthouse at the southern entrance to Monterey Bay. Emily Maitland-Fish is immortalized in lighthouse lore as the socialite keeper.
0: Emily Maitland, who was born in 1843 in Albion, Michigan, married Melanchthon W. Fish when she was 17 years old. Fish was a medical doctor who for six years served as U.S. Vice Consul in Shanghai, China. He had previously been married to Emily's sister, who had died in childbirth while in China. After she married Dr. Fish, Emily raised her sister's daughter, Juliet, as her own. Juliet later married Henry E. Nichols, who became a naval officer and inspector in the Lighthouse Service's 12th district.
1: Melanchthon Fish left China to serve for the Union in the Civil War, and Emily and Juliet accompanied him during General Sherman's campaign through Georgia. Dr. Fish died in 1891, when Emily was 50. Later, her son-in-law mentioned that the job of keeper at Point Pinos lighthouse was about to become available and Emily's interest was piqued. With Henry's help, she won the appointment and soon moved into the lighthouse, along with a servant named Q, who had come from China with the family. From her home in Oakland, she brought along fine antique furniture, paintings, and the best china and silverware. Rarely has an American lighthouse been outfitted in such luxury.
0: Emily Fish had good soil brought to the sandy lighthouse grounds for the planting of grass, trees, and hedges. She populated the 92-acre station with French poodles, Holstein cows, thoroughbred horses, and chickens. During more than two decades as keeper, Emily hired a number of male workers, most of whom she discharged for incompetence. No such charge could be made against Emily. During her stay, Point Pinos light station received consistently high marks for being well kept.
1: As the years passed, Emily earned the Socialite Keeper nickname because of her regard for fashion and style, as well as her habit of entertaining artists, writers, and other guests at the lighthouse. Naval officers from visiting ships were also frequently invited. Emily also became deeply involved in the local community and was a founding member of the Executive Committee of the Red Cross Society of Monterey Pacific Grove.
0: Juliet Fish Nichols followed in Emily's footsteps when she became keeper of San Francisco Bay's Angel Island Light and Fog Signal Station in 1902. Both women were on duty when the catastrophic earthquake of April 18, 1906 struck the region. Emily wrote in the logbook at Point Pinos, quote, At 5.30 a.m., violent and continued earthquake shocks jarred the lens, causing it to bend the connecting tube and loosen the lens so it was unstable and also enlarged the crack in the tower, Meanwhile, from her post closer to San Francisco, Juliet Nichols watched in horror as buildings collapsed and fires raged along the city's waterfront.
1: The lantern and top of the tower at Point Pinos were replaced soon after the earthquake, but the Third Order Fresnel lens was repaired and remains in use today. Emily Fish retired as keeper in 1914 and died at the age of 88 in 1931. Her assistant Q stayed with Emily until the end, returning to China after her death. Juliet Nichols also retired in 1914, and she lived until 1947. The two women are buried on a hillside in the Pleasant Hills Cemetery in Oakland, and visitors to the family gravesite are treated to a fabulous view of San Francisco Bay.
0: Next, we're heading up to Oregon. Hesita Head, about halfway up the Oregon coast, is named for Don Bruno de Hesita, a Portuguese navigator who explored the region for Spain.
1: The location is about 10 miles north of the entrance to the Sayusla River, and it was the growth of the community of Florence near the river's mouth into a center for lumber and fishing that led to an appropriation for a lighthouse in 1888. The first-order Fresnel lens for Head was manufactured in England by Chance Brothers.
0: The giant lens, weighing two tons, sat on a chariot wheel assembly that was turned by a clockwork mechanism wound by the keepers. The light went into service on March 30, 1894, with a white flash visible 20 miles to sea.
1: Soon after the Coast Guard took over in 1939, the principal keeper's dwelling was demolished. In 1963, keeper Oswald Alec witnessed the end of the era when the station was automated. The remaining assistant keeper's duplex house was then turned over to the U.S. Forest Service. From 1970 to 1995, the Forest Service leased the house to Lane Community College. When the house was placed on the National Register of Historic Places in 1973, the Forest Service looked for ways to share its history with the public. It was decided that turning it into a bed-and-breakfast inn would make this feasible.
0: In 1995, Mike and Carol Corgan were chosen to be the first innkeepers for the Heceta Lighthouse Bed and Breakfast. As volunteers, the Corgans helped start the careful restoration of the interior. Now retired, their daughter Michelle continues to restore the keeper's house and to invite the public to enjoy this national treasure.
1: Meanwhile, Devil's Elbow State Park, which included land south of the Lighthouse, was enlarged to include the Lighthouse and has been renamed to Head Head Lighthouse State Scenic Viewpoint. Tours of the Lighthouse are available every day from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., weather and staff permitting. Programs cover the grounds around the base of the Lighthouse and the ground floor of the tower. Tours of the upper levels in the tower are not available at this time.
0: I recently had a chance to speak with Misty Anderson, General Manager and Events Coordinator for the Hasita Lighthouse Bed and Breakfast. Let's listen to that conversation now. Thank you so much for joining me today, Misty. I really appreciate it.
3: Oh, you're very welcome. I'm happy to be here. Before we
0: get started, let me just say that I visited Hesida Head in 2015, and it's certainly one of the most beautiful lighthouses I've ever visited. It's one of the iconic lighthouses of the Northwest. And uh, before we get into talking about the bed and breakfast, I'd just like to talk a little bit about the interpretive center in the Keeper's House. Yeah. Um, Now, is that available to visitors who might not actually be staying overnight at the B&B?
3: Yes, the whole first floor of the Keeper's Home um, is an interpretive center, and Memorial weekend through the end of September, we offered tours to the public for free, and that's between 11 and 3, and except for Wednesdays and days that we have special events like weddings. But for the most part, um, it is open to the public, so there's no reservations necessary. People just come up and um volunteers are here who have been trained on the history, and they walk them through the house and tell them about the pictures and what the life was like here as a light keeper. And outside of that season, um, people can call us and make a reservation to get a private tour, and we can do that um, all year round.
0: Okay, that's great. So uh, you just uh, gave a little bit of an idea of what people would see in the Interpretive Center, but are there any other specific items or exhibits that you might want to mention that that people would be interested in?
3: Well, we have pictures on the walls um, from the building of the light station all the way through when the lightkeepers lived here and their family life. Um, And then when it became part of the military during World War II, we have photos of that as well. We also have it when the Wayne Community College had it. And then we have um, old historic maps on display. We also have artifacts that have been found on site um, displayed throughout the house and mostly in the guest kitchen. Um, And then the house is fully decorated in, like, period pieces, so a lot of antique furniture here.
0: Of course, there's also a gift shop as well, and is that open to the general public?
3: Yeah, um, the old um, shop or generator building that used to be, um, that was born when um, power came to the area. Did I say born? (laughs) That was built when power came to the area. (laughs) And um, we have turned it into a gift shop because it's along the trail from the beach up to the lighthouse. And uh, we have all kinds of, Maritime themed things out there, especially for those lighthouse lovers, we have um, Hasita Head Lighthouse specifically, but then we also have general lighthouse things, um, clothing and kitchenware and kids' stuff and jewelry and all kinds of things. Um, And that is open every day from Memorial Weekend through the end of September, and it's open weekends in May and October, depending on weather. And then... We do take our guests out there every day after breakfast, and we have an online gift shop as well. So if you go to our website, hasidalighthouse.com there is a tab for gift shop, and you are able to shop online for many of the items.
0: So let's talk uh, about the bed and breakfast. It has kind of an unusual history. Uh, it was turned over by the Coast Guard to the U.S. Forest Service. Uh, it was used by a uh, community college, which you mentioned for, for a while mm-hmm. before it was uh, turned into a B&B, and it's been a B&B for over 20 years now. It seems like it's been extremely successful. Can you uh, describe the accommodations for us?
3: Yes. Um, there are six bedrooms and five bathrooms, all on the second floor, And there are two parlors with ocean views and a large dining room where we do the seven-course breakfast. And then we have a guest kitchen that's a fully stocked kitchen for the the guests who stay overnight. They can use that as they like. Um, And then we have our professional kitchen on the other side. And as I mentioned before, with the first floor being filled with uh, antiques, all the rooms are decorated with antiques and down comforters and quilts and – Really, quite beautiful and, and tastefully done, um, the mariner rooms have views of the ocean. The lightkeeper 's room has a view of the lighthouse and it has a clawfoot bathtub. Um, the Queen Anne room and victoria 's room have views of our culinary garden. We try to get as much produce for breakfast as we can from our own garden, and the Cape Cove room has a view of the historic bridge.
0: Sounds fantastic. So uh, I understand you offer some special packages and experiences at the B&B. Can you tell us about those?
3: Sure, yeah. We have um, some, some like picnic baskets that guests can choose to have ready for them, and that's all sourced from Oregon, different cheeses and sausages and chocolates, mustards, jams. Oregon's just full of great food, and so we really try to highlight that. Um, We also have um, packages for, um, like, engagement, where we will decorate the room and um, put candles and rose petals and flowers everywhere so you can propose, many things like that.
0: And you also host special events, of course, uh, weddings, of of course, that probably goes without saying, but I was looking at your website, and I see uh, you host a lot of other events as well.
3: Yes, yes, the weddings are most popular throughout the summer, um, but then we do really try to stay connected with the community because the light station is about community. So at Christmas time we have four Christmas open house parties that's open to the public and it's free. It's all put together by volunteers, sponsorships, donations. Um, and the communities come from far away, come all the way from Willamette Valley or Portland to, to see the light station completely decorated in lights and the inside of the house is totally covered in Christmas. We have Santa Claus here. We have free cookies and drinks. We have live music. There's a shuttle service that will bring people from the parking lot up. And we see about 300 people a night. So we do that for four nights in December. And then we also have the light station birthday party. And this year we celebrated 125 years. March 30th is uh, our birthday, and we have a big party out in the lawn with um, yard games and food and music, and Taylor Sausages from Cape Junction comes up and makes hot dogs for everybody, and um, that's been really popular as well. Um, and then this year we celebrated National Lighthouse Day on August 7th. And those are all community events that are free, um, but and we do besides the weddings we also have done, like family reunions and birthday parties and anniversaries and baby showers. Uh, We sometimes do um, tea parties and people have come to have tea um, on the first floor at the light station. They love that. We also offer the seven-course breakfast um, to the public because normally that's reserved for people who stay the night a couple times a year. We can offer that to the public without staying the night. Um, We do luncheons for business meetings and for nonprofits. Um, we also have done like wine tasting, uh, we did a sunset wine tasting that was really nice one time. Um, so we do have a lot of things and we're trying to do more to really, um, be available to the public, to, to allow more people to come in and, and be in this space and see this great light station.
0: So Misty, uh, what is your personal favorite thing about the Hasida Lighthouse Bed and Breakfast?
3: Oh, that's tough because there are so many great things you know I've been here for four years, and I'm constantly stopped in my tracks with the beauty of the light beam going around in whatever type of weather there is, and the sunsets here and the gorgeous sparkling ocean um, all that is is just so amazing. But I really think that my favorite thing has to be my team of people who are here that, that keep the bed and breakfast running, the volunteers who, who keep the Interpretive Center running, like everyone who's part of this Hasita family, we just have such fun together and we share the passion for the light station. And, and I think that's probably what keeps me most satisfied here is, is the lovely people that this light station has brought together and the great times we have and all the guests that we get to meet from all over the world and it's the people. I love the people.
0: Missy, I understand there's uh, now a, a nonprofit organization that's formed uh, to support the, uh, the bed and breakfast as well?
3: Yes. Keepers of Hasita Head Light Station is a nonprofit that um, just this year, um, in honor of 125 years, has formed to help raise funds to support the restoration of the Lightkeeper's home and the grounds around it and to support the Interpretive Center and expand the programs that we offer through the Interpretive Center. And they are gonna be doing some events coming up, um, some fundraisers and some fun activities to, to really um, keep the Interpretive Center going and to keep this place beautiful.
0: I've heard uh, something about a, a famous uh, seven-course breakfast. Uh, what can you tell us about that?
3: Oh, the seven-course breakfast. We are pretty well known for that. I don't know how many people have had a seven-course breakfast before coming here. Um, we serve our breakfast family style, so everyone who stays in the house that evening comes together at breakfast, and we feed them seven courses of everything Oregon. We um, make everything in-house. We have um, sweetbreads and cakes, and we get the freshest local fruit. And we get sausages from local purveyors and cheese from you know artisans near down the way, and everything from the farmers market. And we it's about an hour and a half long of seven courses. The breakfast was created by the original owners of the bed and breakfast, Mike and Carol Corgan, who were both executive chefs, and has been continued on by Michelle Corgan, their daughter, um, who is also a chef, and. Um, We cook a seven-course breakfast every morning, and if people stay multiple nights, they get a different breakfast every morning. So it's really a lot of fun. We serve um, different kinds of fruit and sweet bread, and then we do a seafood course. We won awards for our crab cakes. We do a frappe course. And then we do all kinds of fun egg dishes and uh, this delicious meats and every, everybody needs dessert at breakfast. So we give them this dessert and we wrap it up with some cheese and fruits and everyone just has so much fun with it. Um, and My favorite part of serving that breakfast is hearing all the conversations that ha- happen around the table, people who are coming from all over the world are sharing their travel stories or, you know, what they do in their life. And you have young kids that are, you know, still in high school talking to people who, you know, are in their 80s and everything in between. Um, And they're there as friends already because we had a wine and cheese social the night before when they checked in and they've all met and gotten to know each other. So it just feels like a group of friends hanging out enjoying wonderful food all morning.
0: Well, that sounds amazing. Misty Anderson, thank you so much for spending time with me today. I'm sure everyone listening would love to spend some time at the Hasita Lighthouse Bed and Breakfast. I know I would. So again, uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it.
3: Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure talking to you.
1: That's all for this episode of Lighthearted. Thank you to Jack Sanfilippo, Program Manager for the Point San Luis Lighthouse. You can read more at pointsanluislighthouse.org.
0: And thanks to Misty Anderson, General Manager and Events Coordinator for the Hesita Lighthouse Bed and Breakfast. You can read more about that beautiful location at Lighthouse.com.
1: Thanks as always to all the staff and volunteers of the U.S. Lighthouse Society at Point No Point in Washington and everywhere. Be sure to check out uslhs.org for information on memberships, tours, and the Society's Lighthouse Passport Program, along with many other resources.
0: And thanks to everyone everywhere working to preserve lighthouses and their history. Everything you do is important and is appreciated. We'd like to hear from you. If you have ideas about this podcast, you can write to me at jeremy at If you listen through Apple Podcasts, or another place where you can rate and review the podcast, please do.
1: As always, thanks for listening and
0: keep a good light.